Hey, welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. Got a great show today. We're here on uh, on location in Alexandria, Virginia. Here I have the uh, the great Mitch Osnowitz, a, a good friend of ours who is currently with the Salem Red Sox, which is a high high A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Mitch, how are things going? Hello. <laughs> We're so, here. So if you don't know Mitch, Mitch's family, the Osnowitz, they're incredible people. I trained your older brother Max when he was just a wee little six foot five high school Young, junior. Younger brother Max. Younger brother Max, yep. Yeah. And then you have a whole family full of giants, right? Yeah, I think uh we make fun of Michael, my younger brother. He's he's about six two and he's the rent of our family. Yeah, what a loser. So Big Dave is is Dave six eight? Uh yeah, but he always likes to say he had the the weight of the world on his shoulders. So now he's about he's about six 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 seven. And and Mitch here, you're what six five two fifty two fifty nine point four as of yesterday. We, yeah, uh, we so, had to weigh in. So yeah, so if you don't know, I walk around in my my own facility, Warbird Academy. I'm six foot two hundred, and Mitch was my throwing partner for a couple years. Uh, six five two sixty. And then Luke is my partner, 6'3", 240. And then Harold Riggins, our hitting instructor, 6'3", 240. Yeah. So I just look like a little pansy compared to all of you. So I, I appreciate that, just putting me in my, my place. This is great. This is great. And then the celebrity appearance throwing with Max. And he's a little taller than me. And he wears his, what, he's about 225, but you wouldn't guess it because he's kind of a string bean, but not a string bean. He's very strong. and yeah, Max surprised everyone. So <laughs> with our academy, the Warbird, the Warbird Senators, our academy teams, we had a, our first ever uh, sort of contest of strength this winter called the Centathlon, which was 10 events, and the strongest would survive. And Max is a coach for our 17-slash-18U team, and Max just absolutely dominated everybody. I mean, just he won by a huge margin, which I wanted to win. I, I think I got third. Uh, and one of our players got second, which was a great high school kid who's worked and trained super hard for the last five years, Clifton. But, uh, but yeah, Max just destroyed everybody. Just broad jump, killed it. What else? Uh, exit, exit velocity. He was a pitcher. Exit velocity, 99 off the tee. Exit velocity. Uh, yeah, his pull-up, he added like 120. Yeah, percentage of pull-up, the goblet squat, the push-up. I mean, he did insane amount of push-ups. Um, he was very excited leading up to that. I remember coming home for a few days and – that's all we basically talked about is <laughs> yeah. the centathlon because um, in college that's one of the best one of the best weeks at least for me was that last week where you're training and you're kind of team building and it's it's just a fun time uh, in college baseball that that last week of the fall yeah I always enjoy that as well that's why we kind of wanted to get that going but so if you don't so the the takeaway from this is that genetics do play a do play a role. <laughs> Mitch is here. Mitch here is a genetic freak, um, but also puts in the hard work, and that's where you know it comes. You need both both pieces of that puzzle to make it anywhere in sports, not just the genetics. But um, obviously, that helps give you a leg up on your competition. So, Mitch, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you're how old now? I am twenty five. Twenty five. So that's like yep. that's like eighty in baseball years. Yeah, in um, pro athlete years. Yeah. The good news is, you know, they don't check your ID whenever you get on the mound. So uh, this I'm, is true. I'm still hanging in there. Yeah. Once you get your contract. Um, but uh, short version is, I graduated from Normal Community in 2009, uh, which is in Bloomington. For those that don't know, Bloomington Normal area. And then I had a interesting career as a hitter. Um, which ultimately culminated in me being a pitcher. So it tells you a little bit about my hitting ability. Um, but the, now I've been pitching for, this is my third professional organization in three or four years. So it's been, uh, it's been quite the journey. Yeah, so you're here playing in the, what does this remind me, the, uh, the high league we're in? This is the Carolina League. The Carolina League, that's right. So obviously, I, you know, I grew up in Maryland, and so this was a good excuse to a, see Mitch pitch, but also see my family. So we're here in D, in the D.C. area, and there's a couple teams that play in the Maryland area. So there's the Wilmington Blue Rocks. They play up in Delaware, which is pretty close to Philadelphia. And then the Frederick Keys, they're uh, an Orioles affiliate, and they're about 50 minutes from Baltimore, something like that. And then here we are here in Potomac. And, uh, and yeah, so this is the Nationals Heights team that you're playing tonight. And you guys have a doubleheader, and you were rained out last night. So you got the two sevens tonight, right? Yeah, two sevens, and then uh, I think we play tomorrow about 1 o'clock, and then we have a pretty lengthy homestand coming up for about eight games. But 
as far as the league in general, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, we, the travel is pretty nice. We don't have any too, too long of trips as far as like, uh, I mean, I've heard the double a team, like they're in Portland, Maine, and that's pretty far away from everyone. So their bus, bus rides are like seven, eight hours on average. And that sounds miserable, but it's the next step. So obviously it'd be great to be up there at some point, but we're here in, uh, Potomac and I'm, uh, pretty excited that you're here hanging out. It's good <laughs> to see it. It's been a while. And we'll um, talk about your, uh, <laughs> Mitch is a quirky, he's probably, you're, you're one of the quirkiest six, five monsters that I've, I've ever met, but we'll get into your, your love of Pokemon <laughs> these things a little bit later. <laughs> but first of all, let's go back and talk about how you made it here in Salem. So obviously you and I were throwing partners the last couple of seasons, uh, in part trying to help you learn the intric the intricacies of pitching. Um, and so you made this incredible conversion over these last couple of years from third baseman to pitcher. So let's start at that fateful tryout and then we'll kind of back up from there. So you went to whose tryout? So there I was, this is what, when, uh, 2014, I, I just graduated and like everyone else, everyone else that year, I, uh, I watched the draft come and go, which I think a lot of people were in a similar situation as me where they're thinking, you know, I'm not a day one guy, obviously that's, you know, first round and stuff, but that, that third day, you know, I feel like I got a chance. Um, and then the draft came and went kind of didn't really know what to do with my life. I think I just kind of sat in bed the whole day and thought about, well, you know, this, this isn't going to be it for me. I think I still have something left. So I kind of reached out to everyone I knew, just saw if I could get on with the team anywhere. And um, the tryout came from Missouri Baptist University down in St. Louis. My brother Max played there. I was recruited by them, so I kind of spurned them with my recruiting. So I'm glad they didn't forget about me. But um, my dad was just kind of, you know, he was doing his research. I was doing my research. And we said, you know, Coach Ushold, you're in St. Louis. The Cardinals were there. Like, is, do you know anybody, basically? And he said, no, not with the Cardinals, but um, our assistant coach played with the guy who's with the Braves now. So we said, great, we'll be there. And um, basically, I went through the entire tryout as a position guy. And then at the very end, he's like, well, I heard you can pitch. And I said, well, no, I, I mean, I haven't pitched. Yeah, who, but, who, who told you that? Yeah, basically, who who who's telling you these rumors? So I said, at this point, you know, the draft's come and gone. I'll... I'm going to do whatever it takes, basically. And I said, yeah, let's get on the mound. So he said, I just want to see, you know, 10 or 12 pitches. So I'm thinking, ooh, 10 or 12, just let it fly, basically, and we'll get out of here. And then about 45 pitches later, from what I guessed, I uh, made a pretty good impression. It was kind of scary because he stood in the box, which I thought he was insane for doing that because I told him I've I've literally thrown about five innings in my life and – he uh, he trusted me enough to stand there and yeah, basically walked away from that tryout feeling pretty good. And for those of you who don't that have never been to a tryout, so behind the catcher usually the guy with the radar gun sits and he's behind the screen and he was he was holding up fingers and he's throwing up like you know threes, fours, fives, and I'm thinking, ugh, eighty four, eighty five. Like what is he doing? Like why am I even here? And I mean, those turn out to be, you know, 93, 94, 95 on the mound. And I guess when you do that, it opens a few more eyes than when you're uh, just another right-handed guy throwing 84, 85, 86, something like that as a senior in college. But um, it, it was definitely eye-opening for me because I didn't know I I threw that hard. So Yeah, well, we probably could have, could have guessed it because we filmed a little video for you trying to help you get signed as a hitter a couple months prior to that and i remember we had you hitting off the tee and you're hitting 97 98 99 off the off the off the tee with your wood bat and then we had you just like taking real easy crow hops and you were like 91 92 so it seemed it seemed pretty apparent to all of us that there was probably more in there and obviously i'm sure that's what the scouts saw there too throwing yeah. you off the mound yeah he basically said you know my uh this was a thursday i remember and he basically said, you know my dad is a little higher up he uh i would rather have him look at you and then we can uh, have his name on you as a sign because then it looks a little better, you know, I, and I don't really know much about like the, the politics of who signs you in baseball, but I guess it makes a difference. 
And then uh, a few days later, that Saturday, he's like, yeah, you know, unfortunately, uh, my dad's not going to be able to see you, but the good news is we'll sign you if you want to pitch. And it was a, a huge relief for me and uh, knowing that I still had a chance to play and that my career wasn't over yet. And then I headed down to the GCL, went straight from Bloomington, Illinois to Orlando, Florida, and started my career. So the Gulf Coast League, GCL, I've heard it is in some ways like hell on earth that it's just incredibly hot incredibly humid you played day games right yeah so the basic rundown of each day is you get there about seven in the morning and you eat breakfast and then uh practice and stretching is about eight o'clock and you go through an entire practice where you have your individual defense team defense and then batting practice every morning until about 11 ish you get a little lunch break and then you play at one o'clock every day and uh that's when it's coolest right (laughs) it's not it's not not too warm at like one right well usually it rains in the morning which gives you that nice humid and mugginess throughout the entire day and especially as a reliever you're sitting there pretty much out in the open all day long and then it's 3 30 and they say it's time for you to pitch your one inning and you go in there and you you give it what you got so there you go and at that point so giving it what you got was what 94 to to what what was your ceiling um i think that season i was up to an alleged 99 but it went on the chart and that's what counts um (laughs) but we we always joke that you know you have to prove it a few more times and i think coaches see that and they say oh he hit 97 98 one time well why doesn't he hit 97 98 every single time like yeah idiot you can do it once and you kind of look at them and you're like well i mean yeah i would love to sit 97 98 every time that would that would be awesome but um, that was my first kind of foray into, into pitching. And I remember my arm was what I thought was just hurting a lot at the time, you know, throwing my two innings every couple of days. And, you know, my, my hands were, was numb. And I was just kind of like, man, is this what pitching is going to be like? And I didn't, yeah, it's miserable. <laughs> it's, it's a miserable <laughs> it's like, endeavor. Is this what it's going to be like? And then I thought to myself, well, I just got here, so I can't, I can't say anything. And I just kind of wrote it out and I threw my, it just, I mean, it went away, and then you know, I threw my 16 innings and called it a first professional summer. And so then that winter, you and I went to work a little bit, right? So we were catch partners all winter. And what were your deficiencies at the time? What were you, what were you trying to improve on that after that first season with the Braves? Uh, I think the main thing is just trying not to be like a robot. I guess was an accurate description of my pitching style at the time. Um, I kind of just stood there and picked my leg up, threw it as hard as I could, and did that every time. And uh, I think we worked on getting a little bit more of uh, what yeah, we call think a, I think Tom House coined that phrase, the angry robot. <laughs> yeah. it was a little bit more of a triple extension. I remember we talked about that a lot in pitching and I guess just my general uh, direction and just, yeah, just not being a robot, you know, be fluid and just looking more like a pitcher. Yeah, and our, I remember, you know, our goal for you wasn't, to change what you did like you already threw super hard your body had figured out over time because you're a good athlete that you know it it knew how to produce force right so we just tried to do little things with you which was kind of lengthen you out a little bit in your stride and then get you to use your front your front side a little bit better because you had a little bit of a weak front side and I mean there really wasn't much like why would you change a guy who naturally throws 94 to 98 and you know people can get greedy and think oh well he could throw 98 all the time which maybe you could but yeah. um there wasn't a whole lot of reason to to change you and the big thing that you know we've, we've had this conversation with a lot of different pitchers where you get to a point where you're good enough I mean how many guys are in the big leagues throwing 94 to 96 a lot so you have the ability to do that you know we don't have everyone thinks that oh I need more I need more I need more. I'll, I'll open more doors or I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll turn more heads if I throw every pitch at 96. Well, if you just get guys out, 94, 96 is more than plenty. And I think a lot, too many pitchers miss the point that they need to get guys out. So talk a little bit about what we did with your your pitch ability. So what did you throw besides your fastball, and, and where, where did you kind of rate your stuff at that point? Um, besides fastball, I guess, I don't know where I settled on kind of like a knuckle curve type pitch, but I, for some reason when I was in high school, that was what I, I threw my five innings of high school baseball with. And at the tryout, I basically said, you know, this is what I have. And I remember I was, 
at a Rangers tryout, and they kind of asked me, well, you know, your fastball looks good, but what else do you have? And I said, well, I got this knuckleball, if you want to see that. I had some Pokemon cards in my and, pocket. And I was 100% serious. I was like, I got this knuckleball, and none of them thought it was very funny at all. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I I went with the curveball. And uh, I know we developed a little bit of a changeup, and for me, it, it, everyone else, changeup is such a feel pitch that you have to throw it as much as you can, you know, when you're practicing it. And giving a good target if you're catching it for your throwing partner. And for me, I'm just behind on the feel a little bit with the changeup because you, you, you can read about like an Andrew Miller, and he'll say, yeah, you know, I threw this slider my entire life, and now I have a good feel for it. And I'm sitting over here like, oh, I've got my, you know, my 50 innings of my fastball over here, and I still don't think I have a very good feel for it. But I know for us, it, instead of just going in bullpens and throwing it as hard as you can and, oh, I happened to throw it over the outside corner there. Yeah, that was great. And then the next two go over the backstop for us. We we worked more on, you know, pitch sequences in our bullpens and, you know, throwing two fastballs away, throwing two fastballs in, and, you know, two sliders away, two curveballs away, and actually learning more about pitching because, I, like you said, I already had the raw tools that were there. I didn't need to go out and throw it, you know, 98 in every single bullpen. I needed to learn how to throw a 95 where I wanted it and throw a 94 where I wanted it rather than just, I guess, willing the ball to go a certain way, you know, having that feel, what it feels like to throw the ball, you know, outside, then throw it inside, then throw it inside, then throw it outside. So that's what we worked on my first year. Yeah, and, you know, and it's, it's a good point that you brought up Andrew Miller because people forget that he was not a good major leaguer for a long time. Yeah. You know, I remember he was, like, one of the big names when I think I was – just into college because I think he's about four or five years older than I am but um he was you know like the highly touted draft pick and he was like one of the best players in the country out of UNC you know for the Tar Heels and then I would kind of follow up on him because he was like a big name that I got a lot of repetition on so every like year I'd kind of check up and see oh how's that Andrew Miller guy doing and he wasn't doing well he like cruised through the minors but then I guess when he hit AAA he started going up and down from the big leagues to AAA and for like the first three or four or five years of his career, he was a replacement level major leaguer. He'd go up there, put up a six ERA, and go back down. And you wondered, like, is that it? Like, he was this great draft pick, you know, had upper 90s fastball, like, you know, long and lanky, but he just didn't make it. And then at some point, he figured it out, and now he's, you know, the the major league star that everyone knows. But they forget that he struggled for a long time. Yeah. And so, yeah, to, to think about, you know, a guy like him, was throwing that filthy slider f- from age 15 to now probably, you know, he's probably, I'm sure, in his mid-30s. That's a long that's a long period of time to finally get the feel for it, right? Yeah, and I think there, there's a few guys that are kind of a good example is that, I mean, as as Cubs fans in Bloomington Normal, a lot of people know how Arietta was one of the statistically, like, the worst pitchers in the Orioles system for probably a long time and had a great couple of years with the Cubs and, a guy that's on the Cubs now, Wade Davis, I think his ERA the last four years combined is under one for the Cubs, and he was a starter with a lifetime, like five or six ERA. So um, these guys, you know, they had someone in their corner in those office meetings when they're looking around saying, you know, what's up with this Wade Davis guy? Like, was is he ever going to figure it out? And someone said, hey, maybe he's a bullpen guy, and it worked out. And same with Andrew Miller. Yeah, and obviously with you, with your changeup, you know, that's going to be a tougher pitcher, for, a tougher pitch for you to throw, because as an upper nineties guy, you know that can be a a good BP fastball almost for a lot of hitters, right? If you throw an eighty-eight mile per hour changeup, even with a little bit of sink, that can be the wrong pitch to a lot of different guys. So yeah. it, you have to be a little more judicious about it, right? And so, what is the what does your current arsenal look like today? The current arsenal today is uh, I have my fastball, and then when I came here with the Red Sox, they wanted me to throw more of a, a hard slider as far as velocity. They wanted a shorter gap between, you know, a 95 and an 85. They wanted more of a 95 and like an 87, 88, 89, 90-mile-per-hour off-speed pitch, which is pretty hard to do, but um, I've somehow managed to find that for them. And then every now and then I'll throw my old curveball uh, that I like to throw but I don't tell the coaches, which is probably not a good thing. But, it, you know, if it's 0-2 and I think it's a good pitch and the guy puts down slider, I'll throw it. And so far, so good on that. But uh, that's uh, I'm kind of sneaky sometimes. But um, 
I, I like to throw it. And so, yeah, I have those three pitches. And then you mentioned change-ups. Um, when I was with the Braves my first full season, um, a lot of fans sometimes, they don't realize that the low minors is a place for development, and we're not always trying to win and lose every single game. Like, obviously, we're trying to win. But at the same time, um, I had a, a couple-week stretch with the Braves where they'd be like, yeah, you know, you have a pretty good feel for that curveball, so let's try and work on a changeup. And I was like, great, you know, I, that's fine. And I may have picked the wrong time to use more changeups when I gave up back-to-back home runs and we lost the game. But, I mean, I had to see if I had if I could throw it. And, unfortunately, those are probably the last two changeups I've thrown in the last, like, three years. So, Yeah, it's uh, – and I'm sure that's a very difficult balance for them to strike because I've heard all the different stories about, you know, some minor league organizations will require pitchers to throw an 0-2 fastball low and away or they'll require you to throw a changeup in an off-speed or in a, in a fastball count, stuff like that, where it makes sense because their goal is to teach you how to become a big leaguer, not – allow you just to succeed at you know rookie ball with whatever way you know you want to however way you want to pitch so they're looking more into the future obviously than just today's results but at the same time at the end of the season you do get judged on your numbers right yeah, so it's, it's it's kind of a catch-22 sometimes it's a tricky spot because they say you know well we want to develop you and don't worry about x and x and you're like well i get judged on you know my era and my strikeouts my walks all that stuff and you know we get told all the time we're not trying to get a ball hitters out like that's great and everything but we want your pitches to where you get major league guys out consistently and yeah there's different organizations where you know it's it's 2-2 you have to throw a fastball stuff like that and from what i've been told it's because they want a you to be able to command your fastball to the point where you throw it a lot and b they want to see you get guys out with your fastball because if you have no fastball then it's tough to pitch uh pitch throughout a whole season where guys can eliminate a pitch or two out of your arsenal and just sit on a certain pitch yeah and that's that's the biggest thing that was one of the toughest things for me was that I don't think at any point in my career I would have been rated as even having average command of my my curveball or changeup. they were both very sharp breaking like very high quality pitches but I mean just looking back and being objective about myself I couldn't throw those for strikes as much as you know I think most players need to to pitch at the really high levels of baseball so you know learning at some point where you're pushed to like look you've got to find a way to throw your change up for strikes 60 percent of the time and your curveball for strikes 60 percent and then just quality strikes right it's not just it's not just control it's command and I was actually reading a good article which affirmed what my buddy had long time told me that control is the ability to throw the ball in the strike zone somewhere in the strike zone so when you need a strike you can throw one but command is the ability to throw the to throw quality strikes, like generally where you want it on the periphery of the strike zone, right? So differentiating between those two over time is not easy, and it's also difficult as a reliever too because that poses different challenges where when you go out there, you might not find an appropriate situation to throw your changeup, right? Because you're afraid of throwing an 89-mile-per-hour changeup that a guy's going to pump into the gap yeah and, and there's situations where you come in as a reliever and you might not even throw a fastball sometimes because yeah. you have you know your buddies runs on second base second and third two outs and the coaches i mean if you're hitting and i know when i hit with guys on base i was looking for fastballs you know bases loaded you're looking for a fastball and as a reliever you have to come in and be able to throw your off-speed pitches like you said in the strike zone or else guys are just going to eliminate it and then i mean i I'm a testament to if you throw 97 and down the middle, guys hit it very hard. And we all see it every night on TV. We see guys throwing 97, 98. And you're thinking to yourself at home, like, how can a guy possibly hit that? And then you see it every single night across every single ballpark in America, guys throwing mid to upper 90s getting hit around. Yeah, and I think a lot of young pitchers who obviously were in the midst of a, an utter velocity craze out there on social media and everywhere – and I think young pitchers watch baseball and they see, oh, man, look at that guy. He just threw that 98-mile-per-hour fastball by him. But I think what they fail to realize is the guys in the big leagues who are throwing that hard, they also know how to pitch. And so they see they only see the velocity. And they fail to, to realize it's kind of like seeing the, the forest for the trees, but they see the velocity and they see the fastball go by these guys, but they also fail to realize that 
the two pitches prior to that set that fastball up or that he executed that slider prior down away like he's making good pitches they forget that beyond throwing just 95 they're making good pitches with 95 or 97 or 98 and so then these kids maybe some of them you know they grow up and obviously everyone's throwing harder than ever and they do throw 98 but they they are not the same as that guy in the big leagues because they're just winging it wherever and that's what becomes extra special is if you can throw 98 and locate it that's special because most guys can't right so when you talk about those velocity ranges talk to me for a second about like what happens when you throw 98 versus 95 right so if you have a range are you more or less in control of the top of your range or the bottom of your range um i think you're i mean for me i i feel like sometimes i'll go out there and i'm sure you've been the same way where you feel like you're throwing really hard and then you go look at the chart and it's like at very average for you or those those days where you don't feel great at all and you go out there and you're throwing the hardest you've ever thrown and it's mm-hmm. it's so weird and and for me um I've, I've been pretty consistent this year as far as velocity and i don't think it's anything that i change i don't go out there and say one day like oh yeah i'm just gonna throw 97 every single pitch i mean you have what you have and we just talked about this we played the the other first place team and one of the things our pitching coach mentioned is you know this is a good test for us but at the same time don't do more than you have like you like you're not going to magically throw 100 miles per hour just because you're playing against a better team and a better hitter you you have to stay with within yourself and just what you have is what you have pretty much at this point as a professional i mean i don't think any of us are going to gain any miles per hour throughout the season that's for sure and uh we all we all got here on our own merits as far as you know we look around and there's six other guys in the bullpen and we all bring a different uh aspect to the team but for me um i guess it's just going out there and and relaxing and competing and then the velocity kind of follows um there's no conscious effort like oh yeah let's you're going to throw this one 99 and then i'm going to throw this one like 94 like i don't think any pitcher thinks like that but um the main thing is just going out there and trusting that you have it in your back pocket for that night. So, yeah, I remember seeing a uh, an Instagram video of a pitcher throwing with there was a radar screen I think placed by his coach up in the press box facing the pitcher. <laughs> so there's high school kids throwing in games and getting immediate feedback on their velocity. It's like, oh, that one was 87. Oh, that one was only 84. Which to me is one of the stupidest things you could ever do because now you have kids consumed with the only thing. I mean, the only thing they're consumed with is how hard was that last pitch? And then they go, oh, no, that last one was 84 versus 86. And then they hump up on the next one. And as we both know, when you hump up on a fastball, where does it go? Up and towards the middle. And it's rarely the result that you want. Sometimes it is. And I was talking to a young pitcher about this recently that when you try to execute a pitch up, so say you go fastball way, fastball way, curveball down or something and then you want to go up you know go up the ladder for that strikeout fastball it's a hard pitch to throw like there's no mechanism like there is in and out or down like when you try to throw down when you're trying to throw down the zone there is a there's a set of things that you do so you kind of stay close a little bit longer you kind of pull from your front side a little harder and you make sure you're behind the ball and you really try to feel for the top of the baseball those things all kind of help you go down the zone in addition to keeping your eyes down there when you want to go up though it's hard right especially after you throw you're you're trained to try to throw everything down the zone because if you don't learn to pitch down the zone then your slider is going to be garbage your curveball is going to be garbage your changeup is going to be garbage if your fastball sinks it'll never sink everything starts and, and ends with being down the zone and then you adjust up if you need to but adjusting up is weird right yeah I mean, I can throw high fastballs all the time unintentionally. It's <laughs> unintentionally, the exactly. it's the worst. And then when you actually need to throw one up there, you, for me, sometimes I'll throw like a perfect down and away fastball when the catcher's standing up and he looks <laughs> yeah. at me like, "What are you doing?" And I know we've talked about that before. You you don't want to just throw a fastball up. You want to like command the fastball up. You want the same amount of effort, and you know you want to stay on top of the ball when even when you're throwing a fastball up to get that good backspin that you want on your four seam and if you just kind of push it up there those are the ones that you know sink down into the zone and get hit pretty hard yeah so I remember that for me my mechanism was sort of pushing my chest up towards the target which is kind of it's just like a little more extension from my hips to my chest and then I would just overthrow it 
So for yeah. me, when I'd overthrow, the ball usually goes up, and you know, there's not a whole lot of other things that you tell a young pitcher. But look, you know, if you got to go up the ladder, keep your eyes up there, kind of move your chest up the ladder, and then just throw it, just over compete, and just yeah. try to blow it by the guy, and that usually kind of does the trick. That seems to be a strategy for some of the guys in our bullpen when I ask them about their, you know, how do you throw your fastball up, and they just say, I just throw it as hard as I can. Yeah. And that's usually where it goes, and then I dial it back in a little bit. And that's when I can be more consistent in the zone. So, yeah, which is was kind of my point in, in that it's kind of a misnomer to say you dial it back, right? But there's sort of a set point that everyone has where I think most pitchers have to find that set point that's like 99% effort or 100%, whatever you call it. And anytime you go above it, you know you're trying to throw that O2 fastball by a guy. A, it usually doesn't go much harder, if harder, if any harder at all. And B you just tend to not be able to locate it, right? I mean, when you try to hump up on a fastball, it's it's something that you learn a lot. I mean, I, I remember reading through the Oakland A's pitching manual a long time ago because one of our uh, our college alma mater at UMBC, he, he played for the, the, the A's for a couple of years in the big leagues, and he uh, left his their, like pitching manual with us, and so our coach kind of made some copies, and we, we looked through it, and one of the things they, they said was that you will battle overthrowing for your entire career, whether you're a minor league or major league or your entire career, you will, you will fight against overthrowing. And I completely, you know, the longer I played, the more I've found that that to be a very intelligent, like piece of wisdom because you do, you have to learn that I can get to my 99% set point where the ball is coming out as hard as it can possibly come out but I'm still under control, and when I'm trying to locate a pitch, which is always the number one goal, I, I have a pretty good sense of, like, that I'm in control of where it's going to go, right? Yeah, and, I mean, like you were saying earlier now, overthrowing, like, everyone's chasing that velocity where even in, like, your own bullpen, you might look around and be like, oh, well, such and such throws a couple miles per hour harder than me. Like, that'd be great. And then we, we just played on a field where the radar gun was – for once in our my life I think accurate on the field on the scoreboard so we had a lot of bets going for over unders on how many times each guy in our bullpen would look back after each pitch to check <laughs> check and see his, his velocity and I think we all decided on uh, our last warm-up pitch was the most important one to check because it's usually a fastball and you usually throw it as hard as you can just to give your catcher a good uh, time down to second and that one you can kind of base your outing off of if you got 95 on the board, great. You're feeling good that night. If it's like 90, then you're like, okay, here we go. Well, for me, I could never, until there's a hitter in there, I was a big adrenaline guy. I could never reach my top velocity. So if I was throwing 92, my last more pitch would be like 88, 89. And if, if I was close to it, then that was good for me. If it was like 85, I'd be like, look. Yeah, and there's some guys I've seen that just go out there and like lob it for like eight pitches. And then their first pitch is like 95. And you're like, how is your yeah. arm not detaching from your body? But it works. Yeah, it's 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 very weird. Um, so talk a little bit more about that. So obviously, as you've been with the Red Sox, how has the adjustment been compared to some of your other organizations? I mean, everything everyone does things mostly the same, but there's little differences, right? Yeah, um, as far as even like spring training, I, I went down early. We had a thing called uh, a mini camp, which you had to be invited to, but I was not. Um, and if you don't, <laughs> if you don't get invited, you pretty much just have to pay your own way instead of the Red Sox paying for your living. And I just, you know, Airbnb is pretty chill. So shameless plug for Airbnb, but it was pretty cheap night. Yeah, promo code yeah, Mitch forty four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, so I went down early because I felt it gave me the best opportunity to uh, meet, obviously, hopefully some of my new teammates and meet my new coaches and just generally be in front of everyone as much as possible for as long as possible. So when they saw my face or more importantly, when they saw my name on some sheet asking whether or not this guy should be on a roster, they would think to themselves like, yeah, you know, he's a pretty good guy. He was here early. You know, he worked hard. He had good numbers, all that stuff. So I went early and. This was the first time I ever went early for any spring training. Um, I know the Braves don't let any minor leaguers come early. They have your you know specific report date for March. And then the Rockies had a um, – you could train there year-round, basically, in Scottsdale, which was pretty nice. But it was more of a re very relaxed, um, you know, just come out and play catch and then call it a day type thing for pitchers where the Red Sox, we had – it was like a legit practice, legit spring training day where – 
you're there in the morning, you're working out, you're going through PFPs, you're going through bunt defenses, you're going through all that, you're shagging BP. And it was just an extra like three weeks to get ready for spring training. And actually they, our bullpens were like every other day, which was a lot for me because I wasn't really used to, you know, throwing 25 pitches, then one day off, 25 pitches, one day off, 25 pitches. Because I think most guys in the off season take at least probably two days off, I would say, between bullpens, just because you're not trying to wear yourself out too early. And then it was, it was actually great for me because I wanted to, like I said, be, be as visible as possible. And then we did a live BP and that's always weird because you have the L screen in front of you, which I don't, have you ever thrown with the L screen in front? Yeah, I haven't. I hate it. It's the worst. And I think the pitching coaches know it's the worst and they don't really judge you too much on how you do with the L screen in front of you, but, um, it's all part of the process. Um, and so this year was a little bit different. Um, they sat me down with my player plan meeting, which I've never had a player plan meeting with the team before. And they just kind of said, here are the, here's the goals we want you to achieve and, you know, check these boxes off and then we'll go from there. Um, and so that was nice. It was nice to have a clear description of what I should be doing and like what I should be working for each day rather than just being the new guy in spring training and kind of looking around wondering, you know, who am I going to be with? Who am I going to be around? Um, what should I be working on? And, uh, it can be it can be stressful at times being the newer guy because I got bounced around a lot which which team I was throwing for the low A the high A the double A all that but in the end it was a good thing because I got exposed to like three or four pitching coaches rather than just the one that could probably stick his neck out and say yeah let's see you know keep this guy around so it was a good it was a good opportunity yeah it sounds good it sounds like you found an organization that's taking care of you and has a good plan for you so in the last three or four years, as we kind of discussed, you've played for a bunch of different play, uh, teams besides the Braves. So talk about after your time with the Braves, like what happened next? Because you kind of did bounce around a little bit and there was some turmoil. And talk about your, your brief stint in indie ball and, and all that. So I went with the Braves in 2015 was my first full season. And then um, – I was substitute teaching and they called me and released me, which is kind of a bummer. I was on my lunch break, but <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited. Hey too. guys, we're just going to watch a movie now. Cause I'm sad. And yeah. I was so excited and I saw the guy's phone number pop up and I was like, sweet, you know, like he wants to talk about something. I was so naive to the whole situation <laughs> being the off season. And he just kind of said, you know, how are things going today? I said, they're, they're very good. How are you? And he's like, yeah, well, they're about to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. So then I had to substitute teach the rest of the afternoon, which was kind of a bummer. But, um, anytime that happens, you know, you're kind of at a crossroads again and it was, it was November or so. And I just, I was like, well, you know, I still feel, I still feel like I can do this. Like if I didn't think I could do it, then I, I wouldn't be doing it. And, I, uh, from that point forward, I started throwing a little bit more. Um, I got after a little bit earlier because I thought to myself, you know, if I'm going to get signed, someone's going to do it either now in the off season or very soon before spring training. And then I have to be ready. Like you have to have your a game and you have to be, you know, those eight pitches you get at the tryout, they have to be your best or these guys are just going to kind of write you off. Um, so started training, we started working out a little bit sooner and then uh, I went to one of my older schools, IMG Academy down in Florida, and I thought they would give me an opportunity to be in Florida and be in the sun and just kind of have a change of scenery as far as getting a new set of eyes on me compared to all the Midwestern people that have probably already seen me. I could go down somewhere else and get a fresh opportunity. So I went down there and they basically said, yeah, we'll invite all our the people we know you can have a little tryout type thing throw against some junior college team and go from there so i'm like sweet so this is in february and i did that i pitched against this junior college team and i pretty much was as advertised you know it's it's uh january and i was throwing 94 95 pretty good curveball and it felt good to kind of dominate a little bit it made me feel like what i imagined like a first rounder in high school probably feels like pitching to high schoolers throwing 95 that just you yeah, just take that you chumps yeah, yeah you just know that like yeah these guys there's no chance these guys are going to hit the ball and uh I was given an opportunity with Colorado and that was my first time I guess going out to that climate in that area of the country it was 
for an extended period of time besides just like a couple of days visiting Arizona. Um, it was definitely as advertised also when I first got there, the batting practice, the balls were just being launched over the fence because of the thin air and it was wild. But And that was 2014 or 15 you were with the Rockies? 16. This is, this is last year. Oh yeah. So, it's, it's 2017 now. Isn't yeah. It? Man. So last year I go to, I go with Colorado and then, um, I didn't make a team at spring training, which was kind of a bummer, but uh, I was there all the way up until the draft, and it's not a good place to be on not on a team when the draft's coming around because there's about to be 40 new players that they bring in, and mm-hmm. that means 40 guys have to be sent home, which I was one of them. And then I went, kind of had like a month off, a little transition period where I didn't really know who I was going to play with or who I was going to finish the summer with. And I ended up um, going to a tryout camp, and then that was for a couple independent ball teams. I went to that tryout camp, did pretty well. And then about a week later, I heard back from one of the coaches, and I went up to Joliet, Illinois, to pitch for the Joliet Slammers of the Frontier League. And Indy Ball's a different animal, isn't it? It was uh, It was a little eye-opening for me. I don't know if I was quite ready for the lifestyle yet because it was just kind of like hey here's when stretches and here's when the game is you know like get your work in get your running in do whatever you need to do just be ready to pitch that night basically and I pitched up there for about a month or so and I was doing pretty well and then I had, a, I had two or so bad outings back to back where um, they brought me into the office and said you know unfortunately we have different roster limitations and stuff here and uh, we need your spot for a more experienced guy because I guess in the Frontier League, I was considered experienced, so they needed someone that could like start basically in that spot, which, I mean, it's a business decision, and obviously I was pretty bummed out about it, but um, it was definitely eye-opening also to the whole experience and how it went because I know you've talked at length on the turnover and all that, and when you get that one opportunity, you have to make it worth it or else uh, they'll go find someone else because there's a large large number of guys that would trade places with either of us and take the opportunities we had to pitch at the next level yeah it's a it's a very cutthroat business the independent baseball circuit and uh like you said everyone who gets released from affiliated ball they're getting calls from these coaches or they're calling coaches a lot of high school senior or college seniors who are overlooked you know they're trying to continue their career just like i did and you get a chance you got to jump in there and you got to do well because i saw and I was talking about this with my friend Matt Zielinski on last week's episode. You know, we saw guys who'd come in, they get signed, they're excited, they pitch that night, they give up three runs, they go home that night. You know, see ya. And that's the end of their career because now the only resume they have, their baseball reference statistics show 10.80 you know, 10. ERA. Yeah. And who else is going to sign them? Like, that's kind of it. So it's tough. Um, and obviously, like, with the other thing about independent ball is that no, a lot of these guys, when they go in there, no one's ever taught them a routine. No one's ever taught them how to be a pro. So I, I just remember at different points in my career, just having new guys who needed to be taught a routine, who yeah. they, if they never been with an affiliated team, and I think that's one of the things you learn um, from affiliated baseball is that they teach you, they rustle everyone up, they they teach you guys how to be professionals, right? You know, this is when, this is what you're going to do to take care of your shoulder. This is how you're going to throw. This is how you're going to run. This is how you're going to how you're going to report this, how you're going to dress. They teach you all that stuff. Yeah. And the guys who didn't get that, which I was one of them, um, you got to learn that on the fly. And I think I was just lucky where I was very disciplined and I was very serious about it. And even if you're serious about it, you just might not know like, well, what do I do? Like, when do I get ready for the game? Like if I'm going to start, when do I go out there? And obviously most guys have a, have a, a clue from college ball, but even then <laughs> there's a lot of clueless players in college ball. Yeah, and, uh, I guess I, w- I would compare it to if you went to like a Division One school and your schedule is very rigid and they tell you exactly where to be and when to be there compared to like my junior college where it was just kind of like, hey, let's go get them guys. And we, you know, you change in the parking lot, you show up and you play. There's no yeah. pregame batting practices. There's no meetings. There's no scouting. You know, none of that stuff. Um, and when I went from the affiliated ranks, um, I I think I kind of had a similar experience as you where you're kind of the new guy, so no one really talks to you because 
they kind of look at you and they're like, well, he'll only be here for a week, you know, and if he yeah. makes it through that week, then, then we'll start talking to him a little bit because that means he'll, he'll be part of the team. Plus, they're nervous that you're there to take their job, which, yeah. which you potentially are. So if I'm, a, if I'm a guy with a 5 ERA and I see big dumb Mitch come in <laughs> and I hear that big dumb Mitch throws 97 miles an hour, yeah. I don't feel real good about you because my ERA is, on the, is in the red line on the cusp. And if you pitch well two times, I might be gone. You know, and So it's, it's a tough business just going through all that. Yeah, which um, is completely different from the minor leagues like we talked about where if you have a couple bad outings they try you know that's a learning experience you know learn from it you know learn from this throw this more you should have done this more and where you know independent ball the game is over and everyone's just pissed because you lost and they, yeah. don't, they don't care that you're working on your changeup that night there is no time to work on it you either have it that night or you don't yeah like i'm gonna put put your hand on your shoulder and say hey so next time you need to pitch better. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't like get pitch better. That's all. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I think the other thing that that can be troublesome to a new player is that if you do come from a Division One program or a program in general where there's just a lot of rigidity, where you do learn that discipline. Like yeah, like you said, there's you know seven a.m. workouts, eight a.m. pool workout, and then you have class, and then you have practice where it's everything's spelled out for you. When you then get into throwing into independent ball. It's like, all right, hey, there are like we're not going to tell you what you need to do and when you need to do it, which you're used to. Now you have to just figure it out for yourself. So even if you learned all those good things, sometimes now when you have that time, you're like, oh, how do I organize? Coach used yeah. to organize this for me. How do I organize it for myself? Yeah, it's a culture shock. And I remember one of my buddies was playing rookie ball with an affiliated team, which is in the middle of nowhere, as most rookie balls are. And he said he just remembers coming from. He went to University of Georgia. You know, it's a it's a big time SEC school that everyone knows, and he just remembers. He said he just had this like kind of like a a panic moment where he's on the mound. There's no one in his game. He's in somewhere in the middle of nowhere. His catcher doesn't speak English, and he's just like, you know, is this is this professional baseball? Like I I had such a different uh, interpretation of it when I was growing up, and now you're on the inside, and it's like, yeah, this is this is pro ball. You know, it's just like anywhere else you kind of pull the curtain back and it's it's not all it's cracked up to be at the start but the the end goal and the payoff is definitely worth it so yeah so touching on college you've been to like 89 different colleges so why don't you rattle off your little list and explain because and it's one of those things where i think people look really they kids in high school search really hard for a good fit for them but you maybe didn't fit as well as you wanted to in a couple different schools. So can you talk about a little bit about the process of you transferring around and some of the things that happened that kind of led you to that kind of circuitous path to, to pro baseball? Yeah, the the first rule of our house was that you had to go two hours away, no matter what, because my parents wanted us to you know kind of get out on our own and uh, do our own thing, but also to the point where it wasn't like 10 hours away where it'd be hard if you had a game that they couldn't come watch. Yeah, if Lisa but, wants to bring you Starbucks, then she's yeah, going to That's rule Starbucks. number one. So, firstly, out of normal community, I was just probably your average high school player. I think I got clocked on the radar gun at topping out at like 83, 84 as a freshman in college, which is kind of weird that now I don't yeah, know exactly what happened. You don't throw one pitch that's 83 anymore. Yeah. Um, so I went to a Division three school called North Central College, and I was there for the fall. And then I left there after the fall and went to IMG Academy in the spring of 2011. Okay, why? Um, I I just didn't think they took it as seriously as I took baseball, I guess. Um, I, and it might have just been the fall season. I mean, it's kind of laid back compared to what the spring is like. But uh, I remember just like kind of point blank asking the coach at the time, is this a school? Like, are you going to help me play professional baseball? Like, that's my dream. And he didn't really have a good answer for me, so we uh, decided to get out of there. Which okay, um, that's. I mean, I know you've done a whole whole episode or two on recruiting, and I'm like the the wrong person to ask about college recruiting because I've been at every level basically. But uh, maybe that makes you the right guy to talk to. Yeah, maybe. So I go to IMG Academy, which is a, a school in Florida that's mainly a high school, but also offered a postgraduate program. And, uh, I was on that team and that school has changed incredibly in the last six or seven years. Uh, they just added football to their high school team. So they have a, 
a heck of a lot more students and money there. But I went there and I kind of ran into the the buzzsaw of recruiting you've talked about where, you know, I wanted to go to, you know, say I wanted to go to like a big time school, like a Ohio State or something. And the coach basically was like, yeah, I mean, those guys already have their recruits for the next like three years. So you kind of missed the boat on the uh, the big time D1s. So I went to a junior college called Indian Hills Community College, and that is in Iowa, and it's a good school. I mean, I liked it. It was very, very strictly baseball, and that was the first time I met a Latin American baseball player. Uh, it was definitely a, a culture shock, and it still is to this day when I see what some of these like 16, 17-year-old Latino kids can do compared to your average high schooler that's 16 or 17 and nowhere close to as good as as some of the guys we've seen but uh i went to indian hills for one one year and then i went to indiana state for one year and i just left indian hills because i graduated with an associate's degree so it was time to move on and i went to indiana state which is a i guess a mid-level d1 i mean they play illinois state missouri valley and all that stuff and at the time when i came in the coach, you know, made certain, I don't want to say promises, but, you know, hinted at, you know, you'll be this, you'll be that, stuff like that. And then when the season came around, I was, I was none of that. And it was very frustrating. Did you cry? Um, I don't think I cried, but I was definitely upset because I really liked Indian State. Like it was a, it was a great school. You know, I liked the people. I liked the classes. I liked why, I, I mean, I liked everything there except baseball, which was kind of unfortunate. Um, and the coach, when I, when I told him, I, you know, let's have this meeting, let's talk about my future here. He basically said, you can stay and never play or you can leave. And that was that. That was that. Yeah, that was that. Um, and to me, I was like, well, I'm a young spry guy. I got some left in the tank and, um, I'm going to go play somewhere. And I ended up settling on a school called Lindsey Wilson college, which is a NAIA school down in Kentucky. And uh, I was I played pretty much every game, so it was great. I got a chance to play and compete and meet some good people, and somehow led me to Salem, Virginia. Yeah, and that's one of the things we did touch on in the recruiting episode of our other podcast, Twinsies, that you have to go somewhere where you can play, right? You can't develop on the bench, and sometimes Division One might be within your grasp, but maybe the playing time at Division One isn't right. So. There's bench players at every level of baseball. Yeah. And, I, mean, uh, I basically had a, a guy in front of me that was a good friend of mine at Indiana State, was a senior, and then they wanted the kid that was a freshman or sophomore, I can't remember, to play instead of me as a senior. So I was like yeah, kind of caught in the middle here, and uh, I didn't want to just be a cheerleader, and I made the decision to leave and played at Lindsey Wilson for two years, had a good career there, and won some games, and I once again met some good people, and um, – I guess all of it could have been erased if I just pitched my whole life, and then I would have been like a first rounder throwing ninety five. But yeah, you should have done that. What were you thinking? Funny story: the North Central coach said I should pitch only, and I said pitching. Come on, come on, that's it's, not me. It's I'm, for, it's I'm for the I'm, birds. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hitter, man. Come on, you know, I'm like Happy Gilmore. I'm a, I'm a hockey player, but um, yeah, and and for any of the young players listening. I mean, like I said, when we filmed a video of Mitch as he just graduated from college at Lindsey Wilson, hitting 99 off the tee, throwing 92 across the mound. So if you think that you can go to a Division two, one school and that you'll, you know, that would never happen to you, that you wouldn't play, I mean, Mitch was an animal. I mean, you are not a small guy. You're not weak off, you know, off the tee. You're not weak across the diamond. You had a lot of physical tools. I mean, you had right. exceptional physical tools, and you still got – put down on the on the totem pole right you had a senior above you which is understandable and you had the freshman of the future coming up behind you and sometimes that just happens happens in pro baseball too so you know it can happen to to potentially anyone and obviously like i've known mitch for a long long time and you're a good clubhouse guy and you're a good character guy so it's not like you were making trouble um sometimes it just doesn't work sometimes yeah. it just doesn't have a fit and it's not maybe necessarily anyone's fault but you know sometimes coaches may misrepresent what you're going to do there and that happens too um and sometimes maybe they they're honest and like look we, we we hope you can play but if you don't do this and this and this and then maybe you might not so it, there's always just a lot of variables at play and sometimes the school that of your dreams that you that you initially set out for might just in the end just not be a good fit and it's not 
necessarily anyone's specific fault, right? Yeah, and I mean, sometimes when you're going through this whole process with the recruiting, um, when you tell people you've been to like four schools, they kind of look at you and say like, well, why? Like, did you get kicked out? You know, did you have bad grades? You know, stuff like that. And it was none of that. It was just for me a, a belief in myself that I could do this and I was going to do it no matter, you know, where I had to go to do it. And it's paid off. And um, I guess if I remember when I was kind of going through the recruiting stuff, my parents said, you know, pick somewhere that if you weren't playing your sport, you'd still want to go there because there's a, I mean, there's a chance that if something happens, you might be, you know, you might be at that school for the next four years and um, you might not have baseball to fall back on just for a variety of reasons. But I always thought that was pretty good advice. Um, and I would have stayed at pretty much any of these schools if I didn't have baseball, but, um, I didn't. So don't listen to me. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and I've had this conversation with some other kids where, you know, your academics will be there. You know, if you want to become a doctor later on in life, you can do that and you can make these choices and like, look, I'm going to pursue baseball now. And I, I know it means I might have to transfer and maybe I have to transfer again. Um, but I want to give it a shot while I'm young, while I still have the ability, while I still, you know, believe that I can. And, you know, that's something I admire about you that you've haven't given up. And, you know, it's, you can always go back. There's always something to fall back on in academics as long as you're willing to put in the work. So even if you start late, you know, my, my grandfather, uh, he went back and got his degree in law and he became a lawyer to better provide for my mother's family or his family, but you know, my mom, um, when he was in his, I think like in his thirties, you know, there's always a chance he went back to night school to do it. And there's stories like that everywhere. So you can always start fresh. And if you have a finite, you know, point in time where, you know, your sport, whether it's baseball or volleyball or basketball or football, whatever it is, you can just go for broke and, you know, pick up the pieces a little bit later. Yeah. And that was a, a thing my parents said, as long as your grades are there, we'll, we'll continue to support this baseball dream. But, um, if you start slipping in that department, then we're going to have to talk. So step one, get good grades because it allows your coach to give more money to you academically to where they can bring other players that are more physically gifted to your school and then you win more games and it's more fun. Yeah, that's pretty, actually pretty profound. So let's talk about your goals this year. So you're with Salem, you're in high A, you're healthy, you're throwing hard. What, what would be ideal for you and what are some of the things you can control immediately that you're trying to, to do right now? Um, for control, I guess. Um, so obviously you would love to be promoted. Yeah. I mean, right? everyone would love to, but not within your control. So what are yeah. the things you can control that you're controlling? Um, well, my dad always says you control your attitude and your effort. So those are the, those are the first two things, um, that you can control. I mean, yeah, it sucks sometimes running poles every day and, and doing all that, but in the end it makes you better. So I guess the first thing for me is going out there doing a good, you know, good stretch, good warm up and controlling my effort level in catch because um we always talk about how when you play catch that's how do you work on your fastball command is playing catch. I mean, you always make sure my partner gives me a good target and I'm not just flipping him the ball. I mean, I'm really focusing our jerseys say Red Sox on the front. So you know, I'll go to the red, which is for me would be a glove side fastball most of the time and then I'll go okay think to myself throw this one at his socks and his it'll be an arm side fastball for me um, so those are the things I guess I control is that is just working on my command and my effort and working on spinning these pitches every day and which kind of transfers to the game I mean I've made pitches where I thought to myself like wow I would have definitely swung at that if I was hitting and the guy doesn't <laughs> swing and then you're it's three two and you're looking at him and it's like well I just threw the nastiest slider I've ever thrown in my life, and he didn't swing, and he probably knows a fastball's coming, so you have to execute, and even if you make the best fastball pitch of your life and he hits a home run, then maybe, I mean, that's out of your control. Uh, when the ball leaves your hand, it's pretty much out of your control. Um, so I guess each day I just work on my effort, and I mean, my goals, I mean, yeah, it'd be like you said, it'd be great to be promoted, but that's so far beyond my like pay grade and my control, and uh, we kind of make fun of the guys in the bullpen that we call him like we just call him the GM basically because he's sitting down there saying now, you know, X and X should move here, he should move here, this guy should do this, and it's just wasted effort um, to me and wasted brain power to think about um, what what they're going to do with each player because 
Sometimes you see that guy that's got like a five ERA and he gets moved up and you're kind of thinking to yourself like, whoa, what's going on? Or I guess an indie ball, you got that guy got picked up and you're thinking to yourself, that guy? Like, that guy, what's going on? But um, it's, it's there's a whole lot that's out of your control. So for me, each day, each each goal is just to just get better every single day. Um, I think in my career, I mean, I still haven't thrown 100 innings probably a lifetime, but from where I was in 2014 to where I am now, I've never felt more confident in what I have in, in my pitching repertoire. And I might have the worst year of my life, but I mean, I, I confidence-wise and um, pitch-wise, I, I feel like I have my best stuff. So if I can just get my best stuff out of me more than I get my bad outings out of me, then I, I think I'll have a pretty good year. Sounds like a pretty good outlook. So last question, Mitch. Tell us about Pokemon. Well, I mean, we I grew up with Pokemon. I mean, I'm 25, so I think everyone around my age pretty much grew up with Pokemon, and it was a very big deal. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember I was playing Pokemon at recess in at Brigham Elementary, getting brought to the office. I mean, you can't be playing Pokemon at school. You crazy? And um, so, which character? So, if you were one character, who would who would you be? I'm drowsy. You're drowsy. Drowsy. And if you don't know drowsy, you should look him up. He kind of looks like a little taper elephant type thing. He's kind of like pudgy and a little elephant nose, but he's yellow, yellow, right? He's like yellow and brown. Kind of. He's kind of weird. He's not a very popular one, but he's he's me. And then we got Lurkus is uh, Machoke, Machamp. You know, he's a strong guy. And then Dan the Poliwag, Poliwhirl, Polyrath. I mean, I'm Polyrath most of the time. I think. Yeah. Um, if you catch me in a good mood, maybe I'm Poliwag. Yeah, and yeah, it's definitely. I know you've talked about this before with having your degree and like reading books and stuff. It's definitely uh, there's a stereotype I think with baseball players as far as you you can probably identify a baseball player just by looking at him sitting there eating eating Chipotle, drinking a Starbucks with his Lululemon on. And yeah, we're probably, so <laughs> so basic. Yeah, we are. I mean, most of the guys are. I mean, and then it's almost it's a breath of fresh air to just be the guy that I consider myself to be is more of a, a, a well-rounded person. And my roommate is a guy that loves reading books and is into like space and all kinds of stuff. So we talk about random like conspiracy theories and space theories and all kinds of stuff during the game. And, uh, it's definitely fun instead of just being like, Oh, you know, we're baseball players. You have to take this seriously. I mean, we all take it seriously, but you also have to be able to separate yourself from your ERA, like you aren't who your ERA says you are, and you're more than a win and a loss. And when your ERA is good, you are. Yeah, when like, your ERA is like a one, you are who you're. You, you yeah, introduce you're a yourself as you when know, your ERA is bad. I'm Dan Blue, and I have a one ERA. Like, hello, how are you? And <laughs> I mean, I've never felt it's weird. I've never felt comfortable saying like, "Hi, I'm Mitchell Osmowitz, the professional baseball player." That's like, yeah. like that's a sentence that's never come out of my mouth. I think which most guys that are playing in college or young guys listening now would say like, wow, I'm going to be a professional baseball player. Yeah, you should think that, but you also have to be able to separate yourself to being a well-rounded person like off the field and not get too caught up in uh, just baseball, 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 baseball because you, you kind of lose yourself. And we've all made those sacrifices. I know you have. I know I have as far as friendships, relationships. I mean, I mean, you moved to Bloomington Normal from Baltimore like it's a big I mean it's a big jump I mean and did I want to go to school in Centerville Iowa like maybe not but I did and did I want to go to Columbia Kentucky I mean it's not the most ideal place it's like 400 people live there but um it made me who I am today and uh, I'm glad I did well Mitch uh I think some of our listeners will probably want to follow you how can they follow you on the, the social medias all I have is a, is a Twitter I have a Twitter at the real Mitch Oz and every now and then I do a blog update that goes back about four years now, three or four years. Um, I update that I think once a week or so. And I just talk about, you know, what's going on with the season and uh, a lot of pictures so people can kind of picture where I'm at and see the fields that we play on, see the locker rooms that minor leaguers use, you know, see, I guess the kind of, of a behind the scenes look into what, the minor league daily daily week or weekly looks like very cool and is that a public or a private blog it's public very public uh and you just i guess if you just look up mitchell eisenwitz blog it'll probably pop up um you don't, ha you don't have a url mitch 
No, I think it's I think it's on WordPress. So I think it's like M A and then Osnowitz dot WordPress dot com. Um, and I you know I get a decent amount of compliments on it. I think it's pretty good. I'm not the best writer, but I try and just speak from my heart and tell you what I'm feeling at the time and tell you what the the pulse of the team is without giving away too much of the random crazy stuff that we do. Um, but it's fun. It's all in good fun. Just kind of, you know, let people follow me and see what it's like out here. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, yeah. If you're listening at home, feel free to check Ms. Mitch out on, uh, on Twitter and, and, and his blog. So obviously if, uh, you're listening to this podcast, you have an interest in kind of the deeper side of, of sports. So it sounds like that would be, you know, right up your alley. And obviously I, I sent an email out to my clients and my friends and my family during my career, which Mitch received that. And, that was sort of my outlet as well. So it's That's my it, inspiration. Yeah, it's something. Well, it's something nice to look back on. You know, like as I've been writing my book um, called Dear Baseball Gods, I have included some excerpts from some of those emails. Because just looking back on some of these stories that I'm recounting, um, I can, I like go back and I'm like, oh, wait, I like sent an email home while I was living through that. And it's just interesting to, uh, you know, to go back through that. So, you know, follow Mitch, read his blog and, and root for him because he's a great guy. He's working hard. He's a you know a great role model for young players out there, and he's someone that you know deserves a lot of respect for for his stick-to-itiveness and his resolve because it's not easy to keep going, and it's not easy to go out there and give up runs and yeah. and keep your head up. So it's definitely more fun hitting home runs than having home runs hit off you. <laughs> I can tell you that, and it's never fun being released. But um, it's like I said, it's a learning opportunity, and um, I'm glad we got to do this. It's good to see you. Yeah, man, it's good. Good to see you, man. It's a beautiful, beautiful area we're out here, and hopefully it doesn't rain and get to see some baseball tonight. All right, well, thank you for tuning in. This is uh, Dear Baseball Gods, and we will see you next week.